So this morning, we're going to be jumping into Revelation chapter 21. People are asking what's going to happen after we're done with Revelation. Um, not quite sure. I think we might do a study through 1 Thessalonians. Uh, a lot of what the Apostle Paul uh, speaks to uh, believers in that letter are very applicable today, especially in light of studying Daniel and Revelation with you guys this last year. Um, and then we're going to be kicking off the new year, Lord willing, in the book of Genesis, verse by verse, uh, just starting in the Old Testament, very foundational, uh, very much looking forward to it. We had actually planned on starting it this last year, but God changed some, some things up and asked us to go through Revelation. We didn't even know we we're going to go through the entire book. But just in light of everything that's been going on this last year, what encouragement to our body. Uh, what a needed time for uh, these scriptures. And I've been so blessed to be able to go through these with you guys. So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, the rest of chapter uh, 21 together. I have chapter 12 on there. That's a lie. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And we're able to come uh, together in your name to look into your word together once again. What a, what a gift, what a privilege you've given to us. We would ask of you to speak to our hearts, give us ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you would have for us. We love you. We love your word. We're so thankful uh, just for the study of Revelation, God, that there is a hope that we have as your kids. There's a day that we so look forward to that we can finally see you face to face. We thank that this thank you that this hope isn't a wishful thinking, that it is sure, that it is real. So I would ask of you, Father, would you please encourage each and every one of my brothers and sisters this morning as we consider these scriptures. We ask in your name. Amen. So uh, in Valla Doyle, this is in Spain. Uh, Christopher Columbus died there back in 1506. And there stands this monument there that commemorates his discoveries. Well, perhaps the most interesting thing when you look on it is actually this lion here. Uh, it's destroying one of the Latin letters or words there that really had been a part of Spain's motto for centuries. Before Columbus made his voyages, the Spaniards thought that they had actually reached the limits of the earth. They had done it all. They discovered it all and their motto was ni plus ultra which means no more beyond well the word here that's being torn away by the lion is ni no so making it plus ultra okay columbus had proven that there is more beyond and that makes me think here of proverbs 23 verse 18 for surely there is a a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. I love that scripture, brother and sister. I love this. There is for sure for you and I a hereafter. God's written eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes tells us. We know that it's there, and we know that we get to go be with him for all time, for eternity. We so look forward to that. So I told you guys we'd swing by Hebrews chapter 11 together before we jump into chapter 21 of Revelation here. And I don't know if you guys realize or not, but really we have 4,000 years of uh, faith, 40 centuries of faith 
You know, here we are today, 2020, loving Jesus, believing his word, living out the Great Commission. It's still happening, guys. People are still having faith in the one and true living God. And I want to consider with you guys Abraham many years ago. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign, con- or a foreign country, dwelling in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of some of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has no foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And that is what we get to consider here this morning as we wrap up Revelation chapter 21. If you remember last time we looked at the first eight verses about God making all things new. And aren't you guys glad that God is in the business of making all things new? Aren't you glad the day you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you became a new creation in him? Old things have passed away. This is what God does. New heaven, new Jerusalem. I enjoy a man by the name of Kent Hughes. And he said concerning Abraham here, he said, to get the feel for this or what it was like for Abraham, imagine God promising you and your descendants the land of Guatemala. And then in obedience, traveling there and living the rest of your life in your camper along with your sons and their families and their campers' families. Moving from place to place, you remain alien for the remainder of your sojourn without full citizenship rights, a perpetual outsider. You see, Abraham never fit in. I don't know if you guys feel that way as a Christian. You see, his religion, it was different, wasn't it? Monotheism. Do you guys know that the Bible teaches that there is one God? We believe it's triune, three persons, but the Bible is very clear, three in one, one God. Polytheism was the religion of the day, many gods. People had many gods personally. So his religion was different. His standards were different. His morality was different because of his faith in the one true God. His worldview was continually colliding with the inhabitants of his worldview, okay, of, of the world. You see, life, guys, a life of faith, it isn't anti-cultural. It is counter-cultural. And that's why we're different as Christians. You see, Abraham was not separate from his culture. In fact, he was deeply involved with the politics of the day. Yet, he was never at home. There are many parallels, I think, between Abraham's experience and ours as Christians today. And I want to ask you, do you feel at home here? Do you feel at home? Or do you feel like Abraham? You're just passing through a sojourner. You see, some of us feel like, say, our missionaries, expatriates, right? Okay, They're not in their homeland any longer. 
a lot of people have been saying, I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. And that personally has kind of rubbed me the wrong way because as a believer in Christ, I don't feel normal here in this life. I feel misplaced often. Like, what normal do you want to get back to? None of this is normal for me as a child of God. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm just passing through. I feel weird when I want to grab tightly to the things of this life. It just doesn't feel right or natural. Okay? Because I know it's not eternal. It's really not reality. There's a reality set before me. (laughs) Forever and ever. Eternity. All time. I'm a part of his family. He's exhorted me to set my mind on the things above and not on the things of this earth. See, would someone describe you as a pilgrim or a sojourner or maybe a camper, okay, an alien here, or a citizen, a permanent resident, an occupant, one who's perfectly at home here? I think we need to live like Martin Luther said, with one foot in the air. I like that. To really be heavenly minded. To really think that way. To think biblically. There's blessings that come. I don't know if you guys dream of heaven. But I think of it a lot. And I think a lot of what it's going to be like to actually be with Jesus. I cannot wait to be with him. We know how words can't describe what it's going to be like. Even Paul knew a man. I think he was talking about himself, but it wouldn't be lawful, he said, to speak of the things that he saw. We can't explain what it's going to be like, but it's going to be good. And there's a little explaining this morning. But the focus, really, when we come to heaven, and I mentioned before in a previous study, it's not, it's going to be so awesome because evil darkness sin is going to be finally gone right that's going to be great but it's actually being with jesus being in his presence is what's going to make heaven so cool and i think you guys can relate with me on that like what is the best thing in this life man it's those sweet encounters with the living god that manifested presence of the lord that's why the uniqueness of church is so cool it's not that we have to be in this building together but when we say, hey, we're going to carve out time to hang with, <laughs> out with other fellow believers, like-minded people, children of the king, and we're going to worship God, and we're going to listen to his word, you know, there's just something special in that. God shows up wherever two or three gather in my name. I'm in his midst. It's just the coolest thing. That's why I love grabbing coffee with you guys or having conversations when we talk about things of the Lord. You know, we have true fellowship. It's just sweet, deep, meaningful conversations. Man, there's nothing better in this life. You see, guys, that's the reality of heaven. It's being in the presence of God in all his glory. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, I think that's the best medicine for you and I. Man, I haven't felt good the last couple of weeks. COVID is not fun. But let me tell you what. When you're down and you're out, the sweetest thing you can have is just knowing that God is there, being in his presence. Even though you're achy, having a hard time breathing, you feel bleh. 
it's just like, man, just the presence of God. Thank you, Lord. 3.30 this morning. No, it's too early, Lord. <laughs> you know? I don't want to deal with this. I'm a little grumpy. I got to teach, and I know I'm going to be wiped out. <laughs> Lord, I need to sleep, you know, and I couldn't fall back asleep for a little while. What am I doing? I ended up talking with him, and it was just a sweet time in the middle of the night. And guys, this is what we're going to get for all time with him in heaven. Yeah. And that is so good for our hearts. It's a good foundation for you and I as believers. Our feet don't waver when we have a, a rightly placed hope in him. And we get that from the word of God, biblically speaking. Because life isn't, we're going to get there in a moment. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, how many of you guys know who Marco Polo is? Your eyes are like, yeah, we play that in the pool, Dad. That's so much fun. He was actually a guy, a real dude. Uh, Venetian traveler of the 13th century. His um, detractors wanted him to recant on his deathbed as he laid there. And he, he, they wanted him to actually say, you got, you got to recant. You got to say this business of going to China to the Far East, it, it, it wasn't legit. It wasn't real. Um, but he refused. He says, I have not told you the half of what I saw. And I think that's exactly where John has us here this morning as we wrap up Revelation chapter 21. Okay, we're going to see some things that he saw. He's explaining to us, hey, this is what I saw. And I don't think it's the half of what the apostle John actually got to see when he had this vision of heaven. So let's take a look here of what John sees. And we'll start off in verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Whoa, this would be so cool, you know, to be in John's shoes right here and be able to picture all this city descends like a bride descending down an aisle here. And isn't that the coolest part of a wedding? Here comes the bride, you know, every eye is fixed on her. Here she comes. So in other words, this is known as the bride or the lamb's wife or the great city, the holy Jerusalem. And then if you look at verse 10, guys, looking for a city here, it says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me a great city, a holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. So John tells us that he was in the spirit. Okay. That makes me think four times he had these visions. In chapter 1, verse 10, he saw the glorified Christ. You guys remember that? The, the sword coming out of his mouth, the, the eyes of fire, right? It's just this awesome glorified picture of Jesus, okay? I've tried to draw that several times through the years. I know it does no justice to what it's, what it's going to actually be like seeing him face to face. But John got to see that, and he did his best to describe it to us. And then we got into chapter 4, verse 2 there, heaven was open up to him. And he got to see in chapters 4 and 5 the heavenly scene in the Lamb being worshipped. What a cool scene. And then he got to chapter 17, verse 3. There's a woman on a beast. Oh, I don't know if I really care so much about that, but that was the other vision he saw. And now in chapter 21, once again, 
He's seeing these things and he's showing us, he's telling us about them. And again, guys, it goes back to Hebrews 11, 8, as we considered Abraham on his journey, where to that city, what city, this city, this is what Abraham was looking forward to. This was the faith that he had. This is what you and I, brother and sister, look forward to. So his journey was a walk of faith, not sight. You see, seeing is not faith, but it's reasoning. It's kind of like in the old days when they would cross the Atlantic by ship. Obviously, there were no marks along the way. Like, hey, stay along this route, you know. Uh, They would go. But it was neat because as they would travel, it's almost like a huge chalk line. They just, how do they, you know, plot their course? How do they keep going in the right direction? Because you leave and after you've left a little while, you can't even see the shoreline anymore. It's like, where am I? But what would the captains do? Well, they would look to the sun in the stars, the heavenly signs to keep them on course. That's what the captain would do. They weren't trusting in earthly signs any longer you see genuine faith brother and sister it always looks up a lot of us are looking at our circumstances what's going on down here and we're tripping and it's because we're not doing what the bible says the bible tells us to look up we look to him and then our sails okay it's by the great son the s-o-n fixing our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith That's what we're exhorted to do, brother and sister. You see, genuine faith never travels by seeing the shoreline, earthly lighthouses, nor paths along the way. So welcome to Abraham's city here. I love this. David, speaking to God, said in Psalm 39, verse 12, For I am a stranger with you, a sojourner as all my fathers were. Could you note there? with you not to you i'm just passing through i'm a sojourner until i get to you god no he's never going to leave you or forsake you he is with you right now brother and sister he is with us along the journey don't you love that some of us are just trying to make it through i just got to get through this and once i get there i'll finally be with you and it'll be all good no he is with us now we're just spiritual immigrants We're just passing through. An anonymous writer wrote about an American tour's visit in the 19th century to a Polish rabbi, Havitz Shyam. Astonished to see the rabbi's house was only a simple room that was filled with books, a table, and a bench. Rabbi, where's all your furniture? Where's all your furniture? He replied. Mine? The puzzled American asked. But I'm a visitor here. I'm only passing through. So am I, said Haas Shayim. Guys, we're just passing through. That's it. So if you look at verse 11 with me, finally glorified. Having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Gloria in Eshelsa's Deo. That's what my 
pastor friend Levi from Black Creek sent me this morning in a text message. Glory to God in the highest. That's not just a Christmas thing, guys. That's a reality today. Here we are having his glory. It's beautiful. And then do you guys know that heaven's gates is actually a real thing? Where does that come from? Well, right here. Look at verse 12. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates to the east, three to the north, three to the south, and three to the west. So here we have the real heaven's gates, and on them are inscribed the name of the 12 different tribes. This is beautiful and wonderful because as you're looking at this, and you're seeing the names surrounding it. I just, oh man, it is so cool. I saw the coolest picture this last week. You guys know when they were traveling through the desert, the children of Israel, okay, God was leading them out of Egypt to the promised land. And as they camped out, if you actually take and you look at how God had set up the different tribes by number, it would actually make a cross. And that's what they saw there, the 12 tribes seeing the cross and then this promised city you have the 12 tribes I just I, I get blown away at trying to look at things the way God must see them because I'm like this I'm kind of like a horse you know how they put those things those blinders on them so that's all they can see is right in front of them this is the way to go this is it you know but it's just like every time we get into the word if we just look <laughs> what do we see what's going it just blows our minds like, what's going on here? I really believe that this city is the way, it, you know, John saw it. It's going to be this way. I'm excited about that. But again, I don't, I don't think John shared half of what he actually saw there. And I think we got to get a glimpse and an idea of what this is going to look like and be like for us. But I think when we finally get there, we're going to be like, whoa, there was so much more. Like, I had to go to Israel in February. I've been dreaming of going to Israel since I was a little guy. I've had dreams when I was younger about being baptized in the Jordan River. Okay, it's just something that was in my heart. As a Bible teacher, I would study about Israel. I'd open up the maps. I would look at the books that had all the wonderful pictures of all the di different sites. And then finally getting there, guess what, guys? <laughs> Mind blown. So much cooler. So much bigger. So much more than I thought there was. And I only can be here for 10 days. I want to stay here for 10 years. Anyways, this is going to be so cool if you think about what's going on. This really shows God's faithfulness to his promises, which he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the rest of his descendants. Now, there are 12 foundations that we see in verse 14. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the, 12, or the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So each layer, you guys seeing this? It consists of these different uh, precious stones. So real cool picture going on here, uh, which provide different colors. And now we have these 12 tribes, and we have the 12 apostles together, yet distinct, right? Okay. Um, continuity, kind of like a, a husband and wife, right? They, they become one. That's what we were told in Scripture. 
Okay, one, but still distinct, different, right? That's what I'm seeing here take place. Now, there's some measurements that are made in verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth. And it measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its breadth, and its height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. So, pastor, what does that mean? What does that look like? I'm glad you guys asked. 1,200 furlongs is 1,500 miles. Guys, our tallest skyscrapers are about 1,500 feet. If we go to one of our satellites out there in space, they're between three to 600 miles away. This is 1,500 miles. This is, or yeah, this is huge. 1,400 miles, sorry. Huge, right? Henry Morris, which I enjoy, and we'll be referencing him quite a bit when we get into the book of Genesis. He's got a phenomenal commentary on it. But he said that this would be like the moon cubed, okay? Huge. You guys get how big this is? And then in verse 17, the 144 cubits, this was a 200-foot thick wall, and it's clear transparent, translucent. You can see through this 200-foot thick wall. How cool is that, guys? So, verse 18 speaks of the construction. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned in all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh uh, chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysophras, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. So, verse 18 tells us it's pure gold. I mean, how much money do we drop on a little thing to hang around our neck? Okay. This is pure gold, like clear glass. So there is nothing not genuine here. Nothing not transparent. So being transparent, guys, this is so cool. Because wherever the lamb is in the city, we're going to be able to see him. That's the cool part of everything being transparent. Wherever he is, we're going to see him. And then these gems in verses 19 and 20, uh, not sure exactly what the first century equivalent would have been to all of these, uh, but we know they're precious stones. And yet there's a great variety that are used. Um, where are the diamonds, you might ask? <laughs> Do you guys know that diamonds weren't a thing in the first century? They didn't come around until about the 1200s. That's when Europeans started using them. But in construction, as you go around the world, they often use what is plentiful. 
what is inexpensive. I remember I've been to almost every country in Europe, a lot of marble over there. I was just blown away at all the marble that they have. Uh, They got a lot of it over there. But in contrast here, guys, the New Jerusalem is constructed from precious, these splendid materials. So transparent gold paving the streets, immense pearls are the gates, jasper for the walls. This is going to be pretty cool, okay? Um, So the pearly gates, you guys know that's a real thing? It's because it's right here. Look at verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So wow, real pearly gates. Each one, one pearl. Did you guys catch that? I guess the oysters in heaven are supersized. <laughs> like, this is awesome. <laughs> so why do you think pearls? You know, well, I always think, well, how are they formed? That's what we always hear about, right? Well, humanly speaking, they come from the story of suffering. Okay, they're made by some intrusion of some foreign substance. Not sand, usually it's some, you know, biological intruder some little parasite or a drill worm gets in there and becomes the source of irritation suffering of pain and consequently the oyster responds with um, an irritation and it responds by producing this uh, knacker the mother of pearl is what it's referred to and that's all it is calcium and protein that's built up and eventually that pearl gets formed so That makes me think of the reality of us being there, okay? Um, The blood of Christ is something I think we take for granted as believers. Because if there's no shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, guys. We were bought with a great price, and it was the blood of our Creator Himself. And He laid down His life. Life was given. The blood was shed for you and I. And I think about how many times I've been bathed in that blood. His blood has covered me. Yeah, Christianity is a bloody religion, guys. Without that sacrifice, we have no hope. And that is the reality of it. And I feel like that and the sufferings of this life and the things we go through, you know, the mistakes we make, just the junk of this life. You know, the cleansing blood of Christ, how needed that is for you and I and how often, you know, we come back. I hear we don't pray that this way at Freedom, but I, I pray with brothers and sisters of other denominations on a regular basis. They plead the blood of Christ all the time. And I kind of like that. OK, it's just like, yeah, you know, it is the reality. Without the blood, there is no hope. <laughs> There's no power. There's nothing. Um, but I think about that special glory you know, that we're going to get to heaven. And it's not because of us and our righteousness. It's because of Christ, his righteousness. And we've been washed in his blood. So the shining gates of this new Jerusalem, therefore, seem to suggest something about the conditions necessary to enter. Okay? We're told in the scriptures, it's as if God's reminding us that we must go through much tribulation. To enter the kingdom of God. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. That doesn't sound right. I thought as a Christian, I'm supposed to be super uberly blessed. 
thought if I have enough faith, I'm just going to be blessed and there's nothing going to be wrong in my life anymore because God is on the throne and I'm naming and claiming just all goodness and healthy stuff for me and wealth on top of it. I just want it all. That's bad theology. I don't know what Bible those pastors teach from, guys. Acts 14.22 You must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. You're going to. So each pearly portal emphasizes that truth that if we suffer with him, you're going to reign with him. 2 Timothy 2.12 That's how it happens, guys. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I have a biblical foundation which I stand upon. And I know his ways are way better than ours. That even when he tells me that he works all things for the good to those who love him are called according to his purposes. And I see people dying. I'm seeing people abused and mistreated, murdered. How does this work out for good? They're sick. They have cancer. Are they going to make it? Oh, they just passed away last night. How is this good stuff, God? I lost my job. How is this a good thing I need to provide for my family? How is this good? You've promised that you're going to work it out for good. But when we understand the Word of God and we are able to look at this life, because there are things that we think are good, but there's an ultimate good. It's His good. And He is working things out in our life, guys. It doesn't always make sense with what we're seeing, but we can look back in hindsight, it says God is faithful and he used that yuck for good, for his purposes. And there is good in view, guys. I look at what we're studying here this morning. I, I, this is about as good as it's going to get for anybody ever. Get to be in the coolest place of all time with God who loves you perfectly for all time. That's pretty good stuff. And let me tell you what, guys. We have a hope that is sure, that is real. Okay? And when we know the Lord <laughs> and we know His Word, we're able to stand. We're not going to waver. Yeah, things stink in life. We get thrown curveballs. You might get quarantined for almost a month. That kind of stuff stinks. But it doesn't change who God is and who we are in Him. Do you guys understand that? There is good that He has for His kids. So, I think of Christ. You guys know he's the only door to heaven, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he said. He actually tells us in the Gospel of John that he is the door. You know? But we read here, guys, there's quite a few gates around this city. Twelve of them. What's up with that? Well, that makes me think, guys, of the promise from every tongue, tribe, nation, wherever they come from, they're going to be able to enter because of Jesus Christ. So I also want to hit on what John didn't see with you guys. Look at verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the temple are or the Lamb is its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. 
and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gate shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by, me, by no means enter, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what we see, guys, are omissions. No temple, no sun, no moon. Also, no closed gates, no impurity, no evil. None of that. Sounds good to me, right? Does that sound good to you guys? But why are they omitted? Did you guys catch it? It's because God fulfills each one of those roles. It's him, the temple, the sun, the moon. And since the temple had been used as a place where people would congregate to be closer to God, apparently here, it has no need, no place. Don't need it any longer because he is there. Nothing separating us from him any longer. A theologian described heaven as an unknown region with well-known inhabitant. You guys look in verse 23. The lamb is the light. No sun needed. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This blows me away. King David cried out, where can I go from your presence? I sailed in the most utter parts of the sea. Behold, you're there. Even if I would make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. I can't get away from him. The most constant thing that we know of, the speed of light, guys, it's everywhere. Look it up. Science is telling us the darkest of the dark, there's still light there. It's still represented. God is everywhere. He is light. And here, guys, He is the light. We're called to be light also. You guys desire to shine for Him? People are watching, they're looking. But we want to reflect the sun, the S-O-N. We can reflect a lot of things. But as Christians, as bearers of Christ, the spirit within us, we need to shine for him. Because this is what a dark world needs to see. As things get darker, he's going to shine brighter. It's just the way it is, guys. You look at some of the darkest, most pagan, heathen people in the world. Why do you think Christians are so hated? Why do you think they're being persecuted, thrown into jail? We don't want to see that light anymore. We're throwing you underground, or we'll just kill you. We're just going to put your light out. We don't even want to see it. But they're shining. 
and revival's happening. We need to shine for Jesus. Because if you guys are reading the same book I'm reading, things are going to get nastier the closer we get to what we've been studying here. The end of days, the end of all things. And we're going to have opportunity, guys, to shine. And how do we do that? We just reflect Him. That's all we do. And light gives beauty to things. I know you gals know, and you guys who are married, you know. When you walked into that jewelry store, what do they do with the precious jewels? Oh, you got to see this under the light. You know? That's, that's what God does with us. We're just reflecting. And let's be close to the light. Because the closer we are, the more we're going to shine for him. It talks here in verse 25, its gate shall not be shut at all. So really, this is the city that never sleeps. Right? A city would shut its gates to protect itself at night, right? We don't know what's going to come in here. We want protection. These gates are open, verse 27 again, but there shall be no no means uh, enter anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if they could enter, you know, would they find satisfaction in its blessings? Would they? I like thinking about heaven. I don't like thinking about heaven if Jesus is not there. That's what's going to make it so cool. You can jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You guys know what I'm talking about. Man, the Bible? Ah, that thing don't make any sense. That sermon, that's boring. I, it was hard to stay awake today. <laughs> but when you come to faith in Christ and you are born again, oh man, the lights go on. Man, the Word of God becomes alive. All things are new. This is truth. This is exciting. This is all real. Why doesn't anybody else get it? How can they say there's no God? I know him. You need to know him. But when we're spiritually dead, you're dead. Dead people can't discern nothing. That's why we must be born again. Any of you guys ever read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? Wasn't that a fun book? Okay, it's, it's kind of like a theological dream vision in this book, but a bunch of non-believers pile on this bus and they take the bus to heaven. And the unbelievers can't discern what's the beauty and all that's going on there. Okay? They just don't get it. They walk on the grass there and it's painful. Who God is, the truth of his word is painful to non-believers because they are spiritually blind. They don't get it. How can they delight in that? Man, God, your ways aren't our ways, but they're better. They're higher. They're wiser. I get it. I see it. They're perfect. But can't I just do this? I think this is right. Don't you know these real smart dudes that 
taught me when I was at university. The smartest of the smart. They say this. And that's why. God's ways just work. They're best. And we want to fight against His ways. And that's why the world doesn't get it. We just had a justice pass away. A lot of us, our hearts break because we know where she stood on choice of life. We hate seeing that. We understand because we understand that God knows what he's talking about and he says that baby's a baby. That is a life. That is a person. They have value. They've been created in the image of God. We get that. But people who are spiritually blind, they don't see that. She may have done a lot of great things for equality and things that we see that are right, that God would even say is right. But there are things that she did not get. It's because she was blind. The world can't see. They don't get it. And yeah, we want to see good people get in who have a sense of morality that line up to with the one who ultimately authored what is right and wrong, what morality really is. We want to see that. But do we pray for these justices? Do we pray for the people who can't see that they would come to know Jesus? That's really what's needed, guys. People need to know him. That's when the eyes open. That's when you're able to see truth. And you're able to see that God is right and his ways are better. And that's why we have to share the gospel. Because nobody's going to spiritually come alive without Jesus Christ in their life as Lord and Savior. It doesn't happen. And that's why we're called to be on mission, guys. That's why we share the good news. So please, understand, brother and sister, who can see spiritually, okay? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. <laughs> There's a spiritual war going on. There's a very real battle going on. But we do all we can do, and we pray. God wasn't joking around. <laughs> we need to pray. And I would encourage you guys to be praying. Be praying for our leaders. Be praying for your neighbor across the street. Keep praying for your family members that don't know. They're spiritually blind. And until they receive the greatest gift of all time and the gift that Christ has given us, his life, his sacrifice, to be forgiven, okay? Regeneration doesn't happen. They have to receive that. And that's what we need to share. Because let me tell you what, it's easy to get a little frustrated when people don't see because there's some things when you come to Christ, it's just like, this just makes sense now. Like before, I was really confused. I had some ideas. I was taught some things. I was brainwashed a lot. But now this just totally makes sense to me. It finally all makes sense. And his ways are so right and so good. He's not trying to be a buzzkill. He actually loves us. And he's asking us to do things his ways because they're way better. Because he cares about us and he loves us. 
and his ways work. If we would just really love him and love others, wow, is it really that simple? It really is, right? Even the Apostle Paul said, hey, you want to fulfill the law? Love! That's all we got to do. And if we would really do what God's asked us to do and do it his way, man, would we enjoy creation. We would enjoy life the way it was meant to be. And we get to impart as believers because we're able to spiritually discern. Okay? But we see a world that's trying to figure it out. They're placing their hope in so many things and trying to do the best they can do. And we look at it, and well, that's yucky. It's a mess. But that's the best we got without Jesus. You guys understand? They're fellow human beings. They're just like you and I. We're all sinners. But they need to be made new. And we pray and we share the gospel. There's an old legend of a swan in a crane. A beautiful swan alighted the banks of the water in which the crane was waddling and seeking snails. Yum. For a few moments, the crane viewed the swan in awe and wonder and inquired, where did you come from? I came from heaven, replied the swan. And where is heaven? asked the crane. Heaven, said the swan. Heaven, have you never heard of heaven? And the beautiful bird went on to describe the grandeur of the eternal city. She told of the streets of gold and the gates and the walls made of precious stones, of the river of life pure as crystal, upon whose banks is the tree whose leaves shall bring healing to the nations. In eloquent terms, the swan sought to describe the hosts who live in the other world, but without arousing the slightest interest on the part of the crane, finally the crane asked, Are there snails there? Snails? replied the swan. No, of course not. Then said the crane, as he continued to search along the slimy banks of the pool, You can have your heaven. I want snails. You see, the great goal, guys, of creation and redemption, it is achieved directly in communion and fellowship between God and his people. That's what it's all about. He's created us to know him, to have fellowship with him, to enjoy him. So my question, as always, is are you a citizen of heaven? Have you been born again? Are you saved? That's all that really matters. Do you know him? You see, there's light after darkness, gain after loss, strength after weakness, crown after cross, hope after fears, home after wandering, praise after tears, sheaves after sowing, sun after rain, sight after mystery, 
peace after pain and joy after sorrow. Rest after weariness, sweet rest at last. Near after distant, gleam after gloom, love after loneliness, life after tomb. After long agony, rapture of bliss, right was the pathway leading to this. So Father, as we conclude our time together, we are so thankful that you have made a way for each and every one of us, Lord, to, to you, to life, to life abundantly, to true freedom, to relationship with you, our creator. We're so thankful for that. We know it is a gift that you told us needs to be received by faith. So we want to pray now for any who are listening Pray for those who are far from you, whether it's family or friends, Lord, bosses, co-workers, leaders in our community, every single man, woman, and child. You love them all. You died for us all. God, may they see their great need of you and humble themselves and cry out to you to be their Savior, to repent from their sin and turn to you that they too, Father, would be saved. We thank you so much, Lord, for the hope that we have as believers, that it's not wishful thinking. These things we study and we read of are sure. They're going to happen. You've gone to prepare a place for us, you told us. And we pray that you'd come back quickly. We so look forward to the day that we can finally be with you face to face. We are so, so thankful that you are with us along the way as we're just passing through. So I would pray for each and every one of us that you be the lifter of our heads, be able to set our gaze upon those eternal things, upon you, Jesus, to be getting our marching orders to follow you closely. God, that we would shine well for you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your grace that has found us. Thank you so much for the privilege this morning of just being able to have church together, to be able to worship God, to study your word, God, to be encouraged in the spirit. Thank you so much, Father, for this church family. I pray that you go before each and every one of us, establishing our steps, God, Help us to be about your business as we see the days getting darker. We thank you that there is a great hope, good news that you have given to us to share with this world. Help us to be bold. Help us to be faithful. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen.